On episode 115 of The Vincast, I chat with Eliza and Angela Brown, fourth-generation members of one of Australia's most important wine families and co-owners of All Saints Estate in Rutherglen. Hello there, Vincasters. Welcome to another episode of Australia's premier wine podcast, The Vincast, with uh, myself, James Gersbrook, also known as the Intrepid Wino. Uh, I'm really excited to have a new episode for you this week. Uh, it was a lovely chat uh, I uh, recorded last year. Um, it's been a bit of a, a struggle, actually, uh, finding time to uh, dedicate myself fully to the Vincast of late. Um, apart from uh, work being busy, uh, and also, uh, you know, I've got um, some grapes coming in uh, to make a little bit more wine for myself this year. Very excited! I'm going to be sharing my uh, experiences as much as possible on my YouTube channel. Make sure you keep uh, an eye on that. Uh, but also, I'm about to become a father, so um, there's lots of preparations involved for that as well. Uh, so if I don't get uh, episodes of the podcast out as much as I would like to over the next couple of months, uh, I do apologize. Uh, it is just that uh, I'm really flat out with lots of different stuff, but uh, I will endeavor to uh, to record as often as I can and, and, and provide you with uh, some more fantastic wine stories, uh, just like uh, this episode. Um, I sat down with Eliza and Angela Brown of the... Uh, the uh, Brown Brothers uh, fame, uh, the Brown Brothers fa- Brown family, uh, based in uh, Victoria. Um, the the, the uh, Angela analyzes um, uh, father uh, bought All Saints Estate in uh, in the Rutherglen region of uh, northeastern Victoria, and uh, and they now uh, run that w- uh, with their uh, brother uh, Nick. And, uh, and they're doing some amazing things. So I was uh, really thrilled to be involved with a, a tasting, uh, looking at some very old fortified wines from All Saints, uh, but also to find out all about uh, the, uh, the, the All Saints story and the Brown story. So uh, I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Please stick around to the end so you can find out how to get in touch with, uh, with all of us to let us know. But uh, until then, I'll see you on the other side. Eliza, Angela. Uh, thank you for making some time uh, here in uh, beautiful, not quite sunny, <laughs> South Yarra. It's December. Where's the weather? Come on. Um, uh, of course, <laughs> the morning after a, a really incredible tasting of some very beautiful old fortified wines. Uh, but thank you for being on the Vincast. Thanks for having us, James. Um, I, uh, as possibly both of you know, start every episode of the podcast asking my guests if they can, or guest, if they can remember... Uh, the first interaction that they had with wine that made them think differently about it. Now, of course, in your cases, uh, you come from you know multi generation, so wine has been a part of your lives since you were born, no doubt. But do you guys remember when you first sort of thought about wine, you know, in a more profound way? Oh, for me, I think it was mum and dad having many dinner parties at home. We grew up around wine and amongst the vineyard and running around playing games in the winery and things, but um, I think the special moments were those when mum and dad had friends over to the house and they had long dinner parties. We'd be put to bed early, but you'd listen to the dinner parties happening for the rest of the night and they just seemed to be having so much fun. Yeah. Did you get to taste anything beforehand? Yeah, we, we, as a family, always sat down for dinner most nights of the week. And we're given a small taste of the wine that mum and dad were drinking. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember when that started. It just seemed to be forever, really. <laughs> yeah. And it's sort of the same for you, Eliza? Oh, mine probably was a bit more naughtier. <laughs> but my cousin, Cynthia, and I, um, I mean, we, when Brown Brothers was really small, um, we'd be running around the winery. There was no OHS, which was kind of fun, wasn't it? Making mm. cubbies. And the, the family cellar at Brown Brothers was a kind of a place, a bit of a playground. And I always loved finding old stuff and history. And we'd find all these really old bottles of wine and open them up. And I think we would have been probably 11, 10 or 11, 1954 bottles of, uh, you know, Grenache, Mondeurs, wow. <laughs> and really have no idea what we were doing, but thinking that we were so sophisticated <laughs> and, and tasting it and going, wow, this is quite amazing. But so, those moments were kind of, you know, really in, you know, 
imprinted on my, in my mind because it was a, such a special, special time of our lives. Probably being 11 and drinking red, I think, was pretty sophisticated, really. But, um, you know, it was just being naughty. I See, I, I didn't acquire a taste for wine until I was, I think, at least 19 or 20. So I think that's probably part of that, you know, coming from a wine family. It yeah. sort of maybe happens a little bit earlier. Yeah, and absolutely. certainly, you know, it's, I think it's been long enough. The statute of limitations as far as underage drinking is well and truly passed. So I'm sure, you know, your parents <laughs> are off the hook in that case. Um, so... I guess we grew up in a European-style family, yeah. but it wasn't European, <laughs> uh, having been introduced to wine so early. Yeah, so we, we, were, we were introduced to it in a responsible way. Good, absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and you had a fairly um, solid understanding of that, that wine was the family business from a young age? I don't think I really understood it until I went away to school and parents were treating me really nicely. <laughs> I'd stay at somebody's house on a weekend and they'd say, Eliza, you know, it's lovely to have you. I'm just wondering if you could have a look at my cellar. And I'm thinking, I'm 16, I have no idea <laughs> what I'm talking about. But they were just so interested in having somebody from a wine family, I suppose, staying with them. And I didn't really understand that until probably a little bit later, 17, you know, um, that we had this little special business, which is now, you know, a bigger business, Brown Brothers. But... Um, yeah, so yeah, it was it was kind of a a interesting journey, I suppose, of understanding you know what you what you have, yeah. and, and then really appreciating it as you get older, mm. of all the hard work that went into it. Yeah, yeah, I think growing up, you appreciate it now looking back, and especially being a parent, um, the long days that Dad did working and. And he was really in amongst it. Every time there was a frost in the vineyard, he had an alarm bell set up beside his bed and it would go off, you know, three o'clock in the morning and the whole house would wake up with this bell and he'd run down to the winery to put the sprinklers on and it was um, all-encompassing really. On the week, busy weekends, all the family were working behind cellar door and mum and my aunties had a um, catering business. They were cooking food for all of the guests at the winery. So it was, it was just life really. Mm. So you have a reasonably large, extensive family and they were all involved, well, not all, but, you know, they were mostly involved with Brown Brothers at, at yeah, that time? Yeah, so um, we grew up at Millowa and um, Dad uh, had three brothers. Um, each of them had, um, well, I think there's what, ten of us in total, ten grandchildren, I guess, mm-hmm. of um, eight, eight, eight amazing women. Eight girls, <laughs> two boys, yeah. <laughs> um so, yeah, we, we grew up fairly close by, cousins just um, 500 metres down the road and others in a little town ne- nearby. Um, so we all see, saw each other a lot. Mm-hmm. We, were, we had two older cousins and then the um, three of us, Eliza, Nick and myself, and then, um, yeah, five or six I'm, I'm not very good at maths. <laughs> Five or so younger ones. Right, okay. Mm. So uh, I'm, I'm always really confused as far as where Millowa sits. Is that part of the King Valley or the Alpine Valleys? Oh, it's, sort they, of, it's sort of, it's the bridge between them, isn't it? It's the King, I, they call it the King Valley. Okay. Yeah. And it's sort of on the, in, in the floor of the valley, I suppose. And then um, 20 so minutes away is more you than Whitfield, so sort of running back south to Melbourne. Back to, yeah. But it's, yeah. I found it, when I went to the King Valley uh, eventually, um, I found it interesting that I had to kind of cut back towards yeah, it's Melbourne. Really, it's a kind of a really interesting way to, to get into the King Valley. Yeah, absolutely. Or you could go over the hill, which is sometimes a bit dodgy. Yeah. <laughs> There's deer and everything. Yeah, it's amazing. It's an amazing area. It's yeah. beautiful. Um, so... What was it like kind of growing up in that part of uh, Victoria? Oh, Angela, Angela and I, I think, you know, we always look back at our childhood and think how incredible it was. We're really very lucky, lucky kids. We're just on our bikes riding, um, skiing. You know, there's so much um, beauty and uh, natural beauty and, and great activities you could do um, in the area. And I think that's probably why. I really wanted to go back home and, and live um, and eventually I'm living in Rutherglen, but um, it's just such a beautiful part of the world to live. And it's like, a, I always call it kind of a little mini Europe in a way because we've got all these different wine regions around us that produce 
um, quite different styles of wine, like the King Valley is in a cooler climate, Rutherglen's only an hour and 20 minutes away and it's you know a little bit warmer and we do quite different styles and then um, heading towards Alpine Valleys, they're, they're different again. So it's um, a really special part of the world. So as far as the Brown family, what was it that brought them to that part of Victoria and, and how did kind of they get into the, the wine business? Ah, yeah, it's a bit of a long story, but our great-great-grandfather arrived as an immigrant into the area and he bought the land at the first land sale in the district, mm-hmm. so back in um, 1880s. Yeah. And then um, there were a lot of Italians and um, immigrants coming to the area in the time, so he decided he might start making some wine and sell it to them. <laughs> So um, thanks to the Italians, the business started to take off. Right. Yeah. So um, we, would sell, we would sell it by the barrel. So they come with either their own barrels or um, and we'd fill it up and then they'd take their barrels away on a cart. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty amazing. And then our grandfather eventually um, started selling wine. The winery was getting a bit bigger and started selling wine to um, other um, wineries in Rutherglen, um, namely All Saints. Mm-hmm. And he used to go on, on the cart um, with his father and, um, what do you call it, ride? Mm-hmm. <laughs> ride all the way to All Saints, sell a massive big barrels of wine to All Saints and then um, ride all the way back. So it would be you know, a two- or three-day trip mm-hmm. just to do that. And I think that... Um, Mr. Sutherland Smith at the time was uh, quite a negotiator and Pop really didn't like that. <laughs> so he ended up buying it in the end. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it was a kind of a pretty amazing time. They did things quite hard, in a hard, very hard, tough way. You've got to kind of remember that now. We're pretty lucky mm. about how we how we run businesses. Yeah, they did. They they um, what Dad used to talk about his earliest memories were going to the train station, putting all the barrels on the train to send down wow. to Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it was a real family affair. <laughs> when did they start bottling wine? Ah, oh, I'm not sure. I'd have to be pretty early. Probably. Yeah, yeah, pretty early. They put in a bottling line pretty early on. Yeah, they, they did. Yeah. But they were still selling, you know, a fair amount of bulk wine, as it were, in, you know, barrels, that kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. Bulk was um, quite a large part of our business up until the um, early 90s, actually. Right. Yeah. And then we decided that we didn't want to be reliant on that business going forward. But, um, and we changed, changed the business around. So for the better, I think. So uh, growing up, did you both have a real sense of, um, the heritage, you know, the, the importance of, of family uh, and, you know, the, 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 I guess, the position that the Brown family had in the Australian wine in- industry? Oh, I think we appreciate it more now than we did then. It was just part of life then. Yeah. Um, it's definitely uh, family was important, um, you know, even though Nana didn't have a, a um, official title in the business she was always running around busy um turning up at the office at 10 o'clock every morning to make cheese on toast for her um husband our grandfather and her four boys and that was like clockwork she never missed that no she didn't um and then she'd she'd go through all the mail and um she'd distribute the mail because that was her way of being able to meet or see all the staff so she'd take all the mail around to the staff and um, and really have an understanding of what's going on in the business. And so she was kind of the unofficial CEO, really, wasn't she? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she, did, she saw a piece of mail, she'd just, oops, sorry, I opened that one. <laughs> she'd oh, miss a is date. everything okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Yeah. And um, yeah, so the, I think for all of us, uh, we really didn't have any understanding about, um, you know, what the business was like to the outside world, really. Right. We're very into, you know, living in Miller with kids and we were never treated by our parents um, any differently, really. No, or anybody else. No. So I think um, for us it was just watching our parents working really, really hard and building a a business and... um, they expected us to do the same thing. That was it. But all, but your dad and, and all three of his brothers are all involved with the family business? 
So Ali probably to tell this long story, <laughs> but so uh, Uncle John and um, Uncle Ross. Uh, oh, Uncle John's retired. Uncle Ross is semi-retired, but I don't think he'll ever retire really. <laughs> but um, and then our dad unfortunately passed away in two thousand and five. But 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 they were when you were growing up. They, yeah, they were all involved. Yeah. Okay. And Roger as well. So he was the youngest, and he. They all had their own areas, which I think worked out really well. Uncle John was winemaking. Ross was marketing sales. Is, isn't that with a with with a wine family? Isn't that kind of the point? Is that you are producing employees? Yeah, absolutely. You don't yeah, have to pay. It's like we well, just get a dividend from the company. <laughs> well, the more impl- more more family members, um, you know, probably they're going to be more loyal anyway. Well, sometimes you hope. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you'd hope that. But um, I think um, for um, the four boys when they went into the business um pop really needed the help and he he pulled dad out of school to go back to brown brothers and work um and they all had their specific areas and um and roger the youngest he was um and because they were growing so quickly he was in charge of grafting um so he was just grafting over old vineyards and and propagating and um and dad was vineyard manager um so but I was talking to Uncle John the other day and it was quite funny. He said, oh, you know, your father just really loved growing grapes. And I'd say to him, stop growing so many grapes because we can't fit it in the winery. And he said, but that's my job. <laughs> and so obviously, you know, when you're growing um, and we're going through this at the, at the moment, there, there's, there becomes like that, you know, tension of growth where every person in the business is trying to do the best in their areas. And I think sometimes it, I think they also needed a whole lot of structure put into place where they go from small family business to bigger yeah. business and so that sort of happened over the during the 80s so. yeah we're thinking about that a lot at the moment with all saints in that growth stage and we, we often talk about oh what did dad and his brothers do how did they get through that those times so, yeah 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 it was, it's it's been good to be able to look back mm. and and see how they've done things right mm. so um for for each of you I'm interested to know, um, did you both think, you know, that you would work in wine industry or did you entertain ideas about possibly doing something else? Was was there always the expectation that you were going to be involved in family business? Oh, we've, we've had a long-running family mantra that we should all do four years outside experience before we allowed to come back into the family business. Within the industry or outside of the wine yeah, industry? Yeah, anywhere, anywhere. Just anywhere, four okay. years somewhere else to just stuff up and then, <laughs> and then come home. <laughs> no, not You're really. supposed to stuff up in somebody else's <laughs> You're allowed to make mistakes when, when there's sort of, yeah, there isn't, <laughs> it's someone else's mistakes to yeah. make. Yeah. So uh, I think because Dad really um, started work very early on in the family business, he was very aware of um, getting that outside experience too. So he always um, encouraged us to go off and do what we want to do from an early age. So um, I studied graphic design and worked in the advertising industry for a long time and then had my own little business for a while. And it was always in the back of my mind, I always wanted to somehow work back in the wine industry, but I wasn't sure at the time how that would work because I was only, you know, around 20 or something. And then um, when Dad died, that sort of put everything into a different perspective and um, I got involved in the business a lot earlier than I thought I would have, but I probably would have happened. Just happened a bit sooner. But you had an interest in in art, I guess, and yeah. cre- that kind of yes. creative expression. Yeah. So I found actually that it did match quite well in the end. Um, I could fit in and um, be involved with a lot of the marketing and um, graphic design for the wine industry, which I think having someone with those skills in house is invaluable. When you were away from um, wine business, did you kind of find it refreshing that people kind of would hear the name Brown and not have immediate, you know, um, expectations or, um, you know, say, ah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was sort of nice to sort of create your own path. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Um, but pres- presumably you still would have made friends who would say, oh, can you cheap wine? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I made lots of friends. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not the real friends. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, no. What about, you, what about you, Eliza? Oh, I was in advertising as well, so I worked as an account mm-hmm. executive. Okay. So I was a suit, Angela was the creative. 
I like to try and cre- keep the creatives under control, which mm. never worked. Not in the same organisation? No, no, not no, different okay. different um, ends of St Kilda Road. But, uh, yeah, it was great. I, I worked for a company, J. Walter Thompson, and I was one of thousands of thousands of people in that company. So it was an incredibly good learning experience. It started from the bottom and worked worked my way. And now out. we're here. Sorry. Yeah, I know. It's but a, a I don't know whether I've gone sideways, maybe. <laughs> but uh, no, it was fantastic. It taught me how to negotiate with people, especially creative people, which is perfect in the wine industry because you're always negotiating with a winemaker. Or, well, and that certainly and, would have yeah. helped as far as the negotiations between Andrew and yourself. Yeah, oh, and, as, and as Nick, the creative. Yeah, well, and yeah. Nick's the creative too, so he's true, the winemaker. So I've got the two creatives, <laughs> but. Um, I think it works really well um, having that experience outside and doing different things. And I was in hospitality um, when I was studying as well, and that's been invaluable experience to have with our business now. So yeah, um, we were always encouraged to when we're at university to have a job, and um, we've yeah, all done that. Yeah, but you were crap. You were really terrible. crap at hospitality. <laughs> I was terrible at it. It's good we went that early on. <laughs> she got sacked. That makes. <laughs> No, I didn't. That, no, to be honest, that makes two of us. I, 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 I just couldn't fathom everyone else was having a good time. <laughs> you couldn't fathom it or you just said, this is not fair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're still doing that. Yeah, I know. No, it's, it's okay now. <laughs> I, I, I did sort of have just enough hospitality experience to actually be able to look at someone working in hospitality and have great respect for them and yeah. sort of say, they're just trying to do their job. I don't yeah. want to, you know, and it makes me annoyed when I see other, you know, patrons of a venue behaving poorly and, and you know, putting it on to the staff and saying, look, they're, like, they're just trying to, you know, make your experience better. Yes. It's Why are you trying it's, to make it harder for them? It's probably one of the hardest jobs, I think, yeah. Oh, it's pretty, oh, it is insanely hard. Just, it's yeah. quite physically demanding as well. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um. What was it that drew you both into advertising? What what, what was the the um, the, the interest there? Uh, I always had a creative um, bent at school. I guess I enjoyed photography and um, graphic design. So I don't know how we ended up that way. I guess mum and dad were pretty creative. I think dad um, dad was always. I think dad wanted to be an architect, but pop said to him uh, that that wouldn't be the right path to go down. I think you should be a viticulturist. <laughs> um, but uh, I think the whole family... Build vineyards, not houses. Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, when in, well, in the 80s, Brown Brothers did this advertising campaign and it was a really beautiful campaign um, done by a man called David Frost um, from a Sydney advertising agency and it was all really painterly and beautifully drawn and um, handwritten and people would ha- hang them in their houses. Amazing sort of beautiful portraits when they um so do you think that 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 kind of that if if brown brothers hadn't been in the kind of brand that would have um, engaged in advertising do you think that kind of influenced yeah, you yeah absolutely mm-hmm. right, okay. yeah absolutely and i did work experience with him up in sydney when i was um i think i was probably th- 13 or 14 wow okay and uh for a week and that just i just thought that was the most amazing thing ever, spending mm. a whole week with uh, in an advertising agency up there. And, um, and I really, really wanted to pursue that when I left school. Um, yeah, I think that's that's probably what kicked my interest. Mm. So uh, for both of you, but in, I guess, different ways, that gave you a real... Um, exposure to communication and, and you know that that vital whether it be you know in the in the boardroom as it were in, in terms of negotiations or in terms of you know um, explaining to a client as, you know based on their brief how a campaign is going to work for them or whether it's you know communicating through visual language that would have did you think that, that kind of really helped you as far as when you came back uh, to work in the wine industry, do you think that was a really important you know, experience to have? Yeah, I think too, Angela, Nick and I all love design as well. And I don't know where that came from our maternal grandmother or um, or dad or mum, but they all, they all love beautifully designed things. And um, when we um, all got back to All Saints and started working together, 
we all did, we really didn't have to talk about how we package things or design things very much because we all had the same yeah, ideas very and lucky. taste. Yeah, very lucky. same taste. And I think um, you know we've we've really enjoyed that part of the growing that business and making all the packaging look you know beautiful and and um, probably a bit more fashionable and. We're always looking out for new ideas of how to design things better or more interesting to capture people's interest because we're, you know, All Saints is such a small business. That's the only way we can really, other than really great wine, is the packaging and the way that we um, uh, promote ourselves, I suppose. But uh, I have to say that the website is absolutely stunning. Oh, thanks. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure it took a lot of work. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know that you know. Website. Um, so, when did All Saints become part of the picture, as it were? Uh, so, uh, Dad and his brothers bought All Saints in the early nineties. Okay. Ninety-two. Um, yeah, I think they'd always heard about um, Pop's love affair with his stories about going over there and buying wine. So, um, it came up for sale in ninety-two. Um, the previous owners had unfortunately gone into receivership and um, the bank had taken over so it was um, for sale so they went over and checked it out and thought it was an amazing opportunity so they purchased the property and um, dad spent a lot of time renovating it It had been gone into a bit of disrepair so dad um, was the the main person running the renovations of the gardens and buildings and things so he'd spent a good couple of years immersed in it and a few years later, his uh, brothers decided that they wanted to, or they all decided they wanted to concentrate on the American market more with the Brown Brothers brand. So they were keen to sell All Saints again, but Dad had fallen in love with it, so he couldn't sell it. So he purchased it off his brothers, but remained a shareholder at Brown Brothers. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's yeah. complicated, and we always say we'll get a white, we'll get a whiteboard out. <laughs> but right, actually, I heard someone ask, "It's like, oh, you're those Browns? Yeah. Oh, good, good on the, you. We're the blonde like, Browns, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> the blonde poor ones." <laughs> Yeah. We're always um, trying to, it's hard to explain, but yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so Dad just continued there and continued building that business and remained a shareholder at Brown Brothers and was on the board there. And then, as Eliza said, um, died in 2005, so we took over his ownership of All Saints and a little winery next door as well, actually, St Leonard's, which Dad and his brothers had bought earlier um, in the 90, 80s. 1980. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they actually sold that one as well. So Dad bought the two of them at the same time. Um, so, yeah, when he died, we took over those two and remained um, shareholders at Brown Brothers with our cousins. But the, the Browns have, you know, long had a history with fortified wines mm -hmm. and with the Rutherglen, which, yeah. you know, those two are so intrinsically linked. Mm. Um, and that was no doubt part of the the interest or the, the love yes. of of that part of Victoria and, uh, you know, as far as that, that style of wine. Yeah. But most, most definitely when, when you, the family, when you, when your dad bought, um, all saints, you know, this was at a time when fortified wine had sort of lost its luster as mm. it were. Mm. Um, and you know, I'm sure that that must've been a pretty daunting prospect to take on, um, you know, a, a, a business, a brand, uh, a, a winery with such an important focus on fortified wines. Mm -hmm. um, was did, do you know if that kind of? Oh, Dad, Dad was really scared him at all. <laughs> no, he just didn't get scared of stuff. <laughs> like he'd say, "So I'm going to do this," and you think, oh, "That's crazy." And, and he'd like, "It'll yeah, be fine." <laughs> and he just did, he just backed himself and. Um, and that's what I kind of admired about him. He didn't really care what anyone else thought. He'd always come up with these, you know, you know, not crazy, but interesting inventions or ideas. And then, you know, a year down, the, 10 years down the track, you know, everybody would be doing it. But um, he was just a bit ahead of his time. And But when he came to us and told us that he was going to buy All Saints and St Leonard's from his brothers and what do we think, we all sort of looked at him and said, Dad, you know, don't you want to just chill out and retire and just go because he loved flying and he loved motorbike riding and he loved traveling and and we just couldn't believe that he wanted to kind of start again from mm -hmm. the start because mm -hmm. it was really starting again yeah and i think he had a 
plan in the back of his mind for the three of us to join him. That was always his plan. Yeah. I'd be working in Melbourne and Eliza at two when we were, you know, stuck in traffic going to our jobs and advertising and he'd ring, say, what are you doing? And oh, stuck in traffic again. He's like, well, I'm not. It's beautiful <laughs> in northeast Victoria. My, my commute's easy. Yeah, no traffic problems here. Yeah. 25 degrees, blue skies. What, what are you doing tonight? <laughs> what's, what's not to Driving laugh? home. <laughs> yeah. I'm going he just worked away at us for yeah, yeah, years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what were the, uh, the really important um, developments that he made when he, when he sort of started working um, on All Saints and St. Leonard's? Oh, I think he he really wanted to bring because the winemaking was done at Brown Brothers. Um, all the grapes were taken to Brown Brothers and made at Brown Brothers okay. um, for a period of years. And then when Dad took over All Saints, he really wanted to. He loved the history of the place, and he really wanted to bring everything back to the original state. So, using all the old winemaking facilities, um, we're still using the eighteen nineties basket press. Wow to this day because dad really just wanted it just to be as it was when it started and um so we're doing all our reds through the basket press which is the accountant thinks is completely ridiculous and we probably are being a bit ridiculous but we think it it's um gives a nod to the tradition and the history of the place but it's also a lovely gentle process and a great way to make our reds um but dad really wanted us to to really be respectful of you know what the place was and um and he he, he did a great job of that didn't he Ange? yeah um got the steam engine up and running again mm-hmm. <laughs> out the back of all saints which is was pretty cool um the steam engine um was automated the pressing process in the winery right. so yeah. all of the original um uh, engine and belts and everything are still there so yeah. he got the steam engine going so one day maybe we'll get the <laughs> rest of it up and running but it's yeah. pretty amazing yeah so that part of the winery and also he brought back a sense of personality to the winery too so you know it was all um you know the customers just loved having him around and talking to him mm. and I think that was pretty special and those customers really stuck with us since dad died and they they kind of liked watching what what we've done since he passed away mm. um and you know culturally dad sort of built a culture that was more you know it was around kind of the whole staff being family and you know that was nice wasn't it yeah was that a really important part um particularly in, in Rutherglen um, the people were connecting with the fact that it was family owned, um, you know, because there are, and obviously very recently, there's been a lot of discussions about, you know, um, beautiful old, uh, really important wine brands being part of a, um, a large, possibly multinational wine business and people have there's a, a bit of tension around it. Is that do you think that's part of the reason people love All Saints is because they know that that, that family history and, and the fact mm-hmm. that it's a brown you know owned business. I think I think so um for Rutherglen uh in the last I suppose four months when I heard that Casella had um John Casella had bought Morris's uh, I think I, I I opened up quite a few bottles of wine that night because I could we could just say that Rutherglen is completely family owned now yeah there's not not you know one um, business that is not family owned and I think that's really important to me because you know that the people who are running the business care and they're passionate and it's and, uh, and they've got their hands dirty most of the time and, and, they, and they care about the community they understand yeah. the value in employing local people who yeah. have a real sense of connection yeah. to the place yeah absolutely and I think um, for Rutherglen that makes it extremely special because when when customers come up they know that um, Colin Campbell's probably out the back um, telling someone what to do and he'll pop through cellar door and say hello and remember their name and, um, and I think that's really important for customers to feel really connected to the place and that's why I think most people have a, a kind of little special piece of their heart for Rutherglen is because of that you know ongoing history plus they're really hilarious personalities you know they're very funny people mm. um, and they're all very individual and um, and I think that's what the wine industry is about, really. It's not about just punching out a whole lot of 
one. Cheap one. Cheap one. <laughs> yeah. When your father uh, very sadly passed away, how involved were you with the business at the time? Uh, I was um, I was in marketing, and um, already at All Saints. Uh, yeah, already at All Saints, uh, uh, working with Dad and Nick. He was at university um, studying winemaking at Adelaide. Okay. Yeah, and Andrew was um, in Melbourne. Oh yeah, I had my own little graphic design business here in Melbourne. Right. Yeah. So um, Nick immediately wanted to move back to the winery and get away and not finish his course. Eliza and I made him stay in Adelaide. He <laughs> wasn't happy about that, but we said, you've got to finish it. You've only got a year left. So um, I think he's mm. glad we made him do that now. <laughs> so did he do his done a couple of years you know, outside of the business as well? Yeah, yeah. he worked um, over in France at, for a few wineries and then he went over to WA and worked at Mosswood um, for a while and in South Australia, Bridgewater Mill. Yeah. Yeah. So he did quite a bit. Yeah. So he so he got experience working in you know wineries in different regions, yeah. different climates, uh, yeah. to to really get an appreciation for winemaking in general. Yeah. To then be able to bring that back to the family business. Yeah. Yeah. He's always been really keen to get a lot of extra knowledge from yeah. other wineries. And he chose he chose to go back into the vineyard for the first two years um, because he feel he he felt which I thought was quite quite mature of him it was that he really needed to understand the vineyard um, in the our area, yeah. um, All Saints and St Leonard's, before he could go back into the winery and really have an understanding of how to, to treat the fruit. And um, So he did a really good job, didn't he, Andrew? Yeah. So, um, but it was a pretty, you know, full-on time for all of us. None of us really knew what we were, <laughs> what we were doing. We probably still don't know now. <laughs> but had, had you, Eliza, had um, enough experience going back to the business and working with your dad to kind of get an idea about maybe, you know, what was important and maybe how you wanted to um, evolve the business moving forward? Yeah, I, I had an idea about how, from a marketing perspective, how I'd like things to be. Right. Um, uh, dad didn't really like spending money on on pretty things. He called me the director of expensive ideas. So, <laughs> so I, you know, I, I would say we, we need new labels, we need to do this with the bottles and blah, 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 but, you know, he wasn't so keen. And he would say, do we? Do we really need to? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so the wine is really do good. Do we need people to or do we want to? People won't, won't care about what they see on the front. It's the wine inside. And I said, well, they kind of do, unfortunately, Dad. Yep. So, um, does that answer the question, really? I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I think from um, when Dad died, Eliza was always the driver. Nick and I still say today, we're not sure if we'll be where we are if Eliza hadn't have been just keep driving where we had to get to and um, ticking things off the list. Yeah. She's, she's been the, definitely been the um, one to keep us all going. <laughs> so a, a really important part of, of the business uh, for you guys now is um, in terms of innovation, uh, in terms of sustainability, in terms of, you know, trying to put a bit of youthful energy into the brand um which is a really interesting approach um in, in my opinion considering that it is such a historic brand and you know it's come it's multi-generational wine family um what what kind of what what was the plan to, um, and how did that kind of come about I think the first really thing, no, we didn't have a plan. We because <laughs> it kind of changed from the day that Dad died, you know, and it was very sudden. So we Sunday we had the accident, and then Monday we had to take over the business. So it was sort of yeah. But the plan early on was just to keep everything afloat, <laughs> and then we thought we'll just run it how it is for a bit and see, get immersed in it and see what we actually need, and and pull people in um, for for advice. Did, did you get a bit of support from the extended family? Um, oh, I guess really. they were pretty busy doing everything that they were doing. Um, a little bit of support, but mainly we had a really good accountant at the time, actually. He felt like he was part of the family and he he was a great support. He yeah. probably knew a lot more about what was going on in terms of Dad's um, the business and the business finances, so... He was able to pass that on, but yeah, we did a very, very quick accounting degree within like a month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crash course, crash course. We did, <laughs> and then uh, is it, is it, the, the accountant said, "Okay, this is a bucket. 
there's six holes in it, you need to plug it. <laughs> so we just went about plugging all the holes, really. Yeah. How, how many were you, were you, Eliza, according to your dad? <laughs> how many of the... the yeah, well, I was a lot, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then we just sort of ran it how it was, and then a couple of years later we decided we would do a full rebranding, and we thought it was a good time to sort of um, make our mark on how the whole range looked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that took... 12 months or so, went through a long process, but um, and we used the help of our distributor at the time, who's still our distributor now, but worked closely with them about what getting their thoughts on how everything looked as well. And um, interesting that you know the Browns family relied on the Italians in the past, and same <laughs> thing with, uh, with with Kasama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think uh, with Sam Isherwood. Um, she was a great uh, mentor, really, and uh, for me, she was she was very straight talking, um, great girl, and she really sort of told me how you know how to sort of pitch pitch ourselves, um, and uh, now she's gone to Bimbendum, I think, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, she she was she was a great help to us, wasn't she, Ange? Yeah, really good help, but yeah, it was just finding those right people to get advice from. Everyone wanted to give advice, but not all of it was. Everyone's handy. got advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone's got an opinion. <laughs> Doesn't make it right. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, and and do you feel that all three of you kind of had you know an input into you know taking the brand forward as far as you know Nick getting more involved in the viticulture and the winemaking uh, and and then yourselves with uh, the communication, the branding, uh, and as far as the, the marketing and business side of of things. I think uh, for the three of us from the very start, we, we I think there's an unspoken agreement that we all ag- would agree on the way forward with yep. things. And we have really, really quick little mini meetings where we're up and all three of us will be on the phone and be, are you happy with that? Yes, tick, go. Uh, are you happy with that? that? You know, And I think that's why the business is quite agile and because we are quite like, we're like-minded in the way that we do things um, and we can make decisions quickly with, you know, with the facts, of course, but we can, we can push things along pretty quickly. Um, there's, it's not too labour-intensive to get everybody on board, except for when we bought um, Mount Afira, Angela's, Angela's thing. Yeah, we do have many disagreements. <laughs> <laughs> We're able to sit down and talk things through, which is good. <coughs> Yeah, we um, purchased a property on the other side of Rutherglen this year called Mount Ophir Estate, which was built in uh, 1897. So it's a beautiful, another beautiful old red brick building with a um, round turret on the corner, sort of a French, yeah, French style kind style. of style. Um, but it's in uh, disrepair, so it's probably in the same state that All Saints was when Dad and his brothers bought it. Um, so there's a lot of work to do, and w- when it came up for sale, Eliza and Nick thought it was a fabulous idea. <laughs> I was not so sure. I thought, oh my gosh, we don't need something else. We're just we're so busy, and um, feel like we're getting all saints and St Leonard's to a point where it's um, starting to fly. So I was worried about the distractions, but um, the time was to. I guess we weren't going to have that opportunity again, and someone else else might have snapped it up. So. We took it and now we're working out what to do. <laughs> That's always the fun part. <laughs> it is the fun part. We'll worry yeah. about that later. Yeah, yeah. We'll just buy it and then do something with yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, it's uh, a consensus view though. Like usually it is a consensus view. Like everything we do together. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if that's broken, the whole business is really broken really, I think. Yeah, and I think that's one of the little um, agreements we had from the very first day after Dad died was that if... Um, if we're no longer friends anymore, you know, our friendships come between, the business comes between our friendships, then it's no point. We should just give up. So. Yeah. Just sell, sell, sell them. Doesn't matter. We can sit around on little empty containers for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> we might have a bottle of wine <laughs> yeah. together. That would be better than just having, you know, no friendship, I think. Yeah. The packaging, the, the branding, probably, the you know, has been the boldest um, part of the evolution of of, uh, of All Saints uh, and St Leonard's. And you've recently released, was it last year, a very, very bold new brand 
which uh, I had the pleasure of tasting on uh, my YouTube channel, uh, was HipSip. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about um, the idea with HipSip and uh, particularly that amazing label. Yeah, well, um, we've been, I guess, you know, working on Fortifieds for years and trying to figure out a way of capturing uh, a younger audience with the Fortifieds. And I think a lot of younger people just don't know when and how and where to drink Fortified wine. They might remember their grandfather drinking them a long time ago, but they just can't place them in their lives now. So the whole idea with Hipsit was to... um, use some beautiful product but also package it in a in a innovative way to really stand out amongst um what was available on shelves in um dan murphy stores so we worked closely with um dan murphy's and um uh we got a outside designer to design a pretty crazy colorful label all around um spinach yeah, spinach advertising here in Melbourne. Um, worked closely with them. We did a lot of research and came up with a lot of concepts and came up with this one where it's all about tattoo graphics um, to really appeal to that age group. And the shape of the bottle is a square bottle, which is like a, a hip. A hip flask. Hip yeah. flask, yeah. So we've called it hip sip. So um, it's going really well. There's We do the tawny musket and a muscadel. And um, they're at a great price point and seem to be flying off the shelves, which is great. Great, mm. uh, you know. And I think, I, I think I remember saying on when I, on my tasting video was, um, I, I, I think a part of it is showing younger consumers that you know you, you can actually do different things with it. You can put it into cocktails. And yeah. That, I think that, that that particularly that that bottle yeah. and that label encourages a little bit of experimentation people you know trying different things just drop some ice into it you know there's no rules no exactly and that's what we were doing having a bit of fun with it we actually got some cocktail recipes designed by um the drinks cabinet in sydney and produced a few videos with um a mixologist making the cocktails just simple cocktails with simple ingredients that people can get while they're in store buying the wine and showing people that it's you can have a lot of fun with it. I think older consumers are a, a, a bit funny about, you know, wine cocktails. But the uh, I, I kind of um, attribute a lot of the, the rebirth of wine cocktails to the spritz. You know, yes, I think absolutely. I think young consumers they drink so much <laughs> in terms of spritzes that they're kind of they, they don't have any. There's no preconceived, preconceived ideas. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the exciting thing. What's happening with Fortifieds at the moment is that um, nobody really knows or has an understanding of what it, what it was like before. So the, the old man standing with a brown paper bag, that, that, that's not in anybody's mind anymore. So now it's fortified, it's starting afresh, and, and that's, this is the time where we can build it into um, whatever we like. Mm. And having that openness about how you serve it, what time you serve it, it there, is no, there are no rules anymore, as you so said. So it's all opportunity. Yeah. Absolutely. And we're really seeing a resurgence um, with fortified wines. And I was talking to Fiona about this last night from Sepplesfield. You know, there's this incredible interest that is starting to flow through, um, you know, after years of, you know, beating our, beating our drum. Um, I think it's really starting to, to take off. And there's, there's two different um, prongs of that. And it's the hip sit cocktail idea and that very high-end um, connoisseur um, premium, ultra premium, and which is the museum muskets that you had a look at, look at last night. Um, so it's really exciting. It's really exciting, and it's such a unique product. And nothing you can't you can't you can't copy it really. Mm, mm. <laughs> you can't copy it. So and so and it's purely Australian. So for us, I think um, we've got to take up that opportunity. The accountant would like us to take that opportunity up as well. <laughs> he can't understand why we've got all these millions of dollars worth of uh, wine sitting in barrels in the in the hall for so long. But mm. um, get it in a bottle, sell it. <laughs> yeah. like, no, no, um, but we respect the history of it. You know, I think, um, and it's. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say they don't like those wines. I've never heard anyone say that's disgusting. Mm. Or, I, don't, I don't want that. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. No, so yeah, everyone that tries them loves them. Yeah. It's, it's fun to see people's faces in Celador when they come in and they've never tried them before and the look on their face is I hilarious. I love that. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and do you um, have hopes that your children will, you know, eventually join the, the family business? I think I think eventually. You know, Angela and I were laughing before so saying um, to my daughter, um, how's that accounting degree going? She's only 10. but you know. <laughs> <laughs> My son's seven and he's just started learning Chinese and I keep saying, go, go, go. <laughs> we need someone to speak Chinese. <laughs> yeah. Thinking yeah. of the future. Yeah. All we need is a therapist and we'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, look, uh, Eliza, Angela, thank you very much for, uh, for making some time. It really has been fascinating you, uh, hearing more about the family you, and, and also yeah. about you know what the work you're doing uh, with All Saints and St. Leonard's. Um, would you like to, to share with the listeners um, website addresses and social media accounts so that they can actually uh, get in touch and follow the uh, the story? Yeah, well, we have two websites, um, allsaintswine.com.au and stleonardswine.com.au and all the social media links are off the websites. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks very much, James. My pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to another episode of The Vincast. I have been James Gasbrook, also known as The Intrepid Wino. And of course, thank you very much to the Browns for joining me on this episode. It was really great to uh, to find out more about their story. And I hope to be able to visit myself uh, very soon. Uh, if you did enjoy it, please do get in touch with them or with those uh, social media accounts uh, and pay them a visit yourselves. Uh, if you'd like to follow me on social media, you can do so uh, at Intrepid Wino on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, the, the, the Vincast is also on uh, Twitter at The Vincast. Uh, you can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, uh, Intrepid Wino, one word, uh, and you'll see lots of different videos that I post there, including my tasting videos where I have looked at some All Saints wines before. Uh, I'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM. Um, that way you actually can uh, get the newest episode as soon as it becomes available. You can get access to all the previous episodes of the show with lots of different amazing wine guests. Uh, and also it's a fantastic way to provide some feedback by leaving a rating and review, which also does help me get uh, the podcast out to more people. Uh, I'd love for you to visit intrepidwino.com where you can actually find out all the different stuff that I've done in my wine career, uh, read about my uh, travels uh, and also uh, find other ways of getting in contact with me apart from the email address which is thevincast at gmail.com lots more episodes hopefully coming your way Uh, but until then bye